0: Find a seat. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got a phone with you or a tablet of some sort, that'll work. Acts chapter 15. I don't have much of an intro this morning at all. I want us to jump right in. But maybe by way of intro, just say that this is the end of of this particular section in the book of Acts uh, we we've been tracing the growth of the gospel in the book of Acts its birth in 1 1 to 247 its birth in Jerusalem its expansion in Jerusalem in 3 1 to 6 7 and then its extension 6 8 to nine thirty one. it extended into Judea and Samaria from 932 to 1224 it extended all the way north to Antioch And in this current section, from 1225 to 16.5, the gospel extends into Asia Minor, or what we would call modern-day Turkey. And so this is the last couple of paragraphs of this section as we draw it to a close. And if you've been around, you know that at the end of each of those sections, Luke gives us a progress report, and there's our progress report in 16.5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and we're increasing in number daily at the same time it's the launch of the second missionary journey in verse 36 after some days Paul said to Barnabas so after some days Paul and Barnabas are back at the home church if you will of Antioch that's where the first missionary journey went out from they came back after that first missionary journey went Up to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem council. We saw that in Acts chapter 15. And now they've come back to Antioch. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul says, Barnabas, let's go out again. I'm going to pick and choose this morning three things that jump out at me that I hope all of us can learn from. The first is this. Let's check in on each other. The Apostle Paul says, let's return, visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul and Barnabas had been there on the first missionary journey preached the gospel, led them to faith in Jesus, planted churches in Pisidia, Antioch, in Lystra, in Derbe, Iconium. And then they, a couple weeks ago, Antonio, if you were here, preached through how they, at the end of that journey, went back through those cities, encouraging them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and commending them to the grace of God. Then came back to Antioch, and now Paul wants to go revisit them again to see how they are. They've come to faith. And coming to faith in Jesus is wonderful, isn't it? For many of us, maybe that was a long time ago. For some of you, maybe it's recently. For others of you, maybe never at all. But whenever a person comes to faith in Jesus, we talk about this all the time here. There are so many blessings that come our way. The forgiveness of our sins all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we all need forgiveness and it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we experience the forgiveness of our sins adoption into God's family it's not merely that he wipes us clean and even imputes the righteousness of Jesus to us is wonderful and as essential as that is he also makes us his own he adopts us into the family. He loves us. He puts his very presence in our lives through his Holy Spirit. Begins to change us from the inside out. He begins to enlighten us to the truths of the word of God. And this, this book that maybe beforehand was nothing to you now becomes a love letter from your heavenly Father. It becomes truth coming to faith in Jesus Christ is an incredible wonderful blessing but it's a long trek to glory isn't it we come to faith in Jesus but it's a long trek to when we will see him face to face and that trek is filled with as we sing through many dangers toils and snares it has its many many ups and downs it is a life lived in our flesh that is still inclined towards sin it is a life lived in our flesh still inclined to sin in the midst of a world that beckons us away from the will of God all the time it is a life lived in our flesh still inclined towards sin in a world that beckons us away from the will of God all the time with an arch enemy alive and well seeking someone to devour Satan our flesh the world and the devil Coming to faith in Jesus is awesome. But then it is a fight of faith from that day on until we shall see him face to face. It is what one author called a long obedience in the same direction. There are many trials. We could name them for a long time and there are many temptations it's hard the life of faith is hard it's difficult it it meets with many challenges and with many obstacles and just as Paul had already told them on that initial follow-up through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God James would say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Maybe Paul knew, certainly he knew, that following Jesus isn't a bed of roses. And so he wants to go back and check on them. Let's go see how they are. And so I would just say to us, let's check on each other. You don't have to look around, but just consider who's sitting around you, in front of you, behind you, next to you, across the room. Life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Trials abound. Hardships abound. And it's hard. Temptations abound. How you doing? How's it going? It's a good question for us to ask each other. It's also on the flip side. It's a, it's a good encouragement, it's a good reminder for us that we cannot live the Christian life alone. Disconnected from the family of God. I think that's part of the reason why the Lord desires a a weekly rhythm in the Christian's life, of the Lord's day, to gather together with the family of God, to be encouraged, to be comforted, to be challenged, to see old friends, to hug a neck, to shake a hand, to check in, I personally think it's why it's so important to, to go beyond even a Sunday morning into a smaller group. We'll be with our community group tonight. And I really can't wait to see those guys. Check in with them and they check in with me. How's it going? And hopefully we... We're able to answer it with some bit of honesty rather than, good, (laughs) fine. Paul loved these people, wanted to see how they were, wanted to go and check on them. Let's check on each other. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord." in many respects, you're reading through the book of Acts and things are exciting and things are awesome and wow, look what God is doing. Look what God's doing among the Gentiles. We're just rolling. And then... What? Oh, man. Barnabas and Paul sharp disagreement separated from one another what was this all about well verse 37 Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and gone to the and not gone with them to the work if you want turn back to chapter 13 chapter 13 is the is the beginning of the first missionary journey And they set out from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. They sailed from Antioch to the island of Cyprus and did initial missionary work on the island of Cyprus. From there, they set sail from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, north. And in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, that's a city on the island of Cyprus, and came to Perga in, in Pamphylia. But John left them. And return to Jerusalem. That's all we get. So there's been a lot of speculation as to why John Mark left. Some have thought maybe he was homesick. He was certainly younger than Barnabas and Paul. And some have wondered if he was homesick. His apparently he came from a well to do family. It was uh, his 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 home that had the upper room where many many of the christians were gathering back in chapter 12 when peter was arrested and peter came was released from imprisonment and came and found them praying well they were in the upper room of john mark's home it's a large home and some have just wondered whether or not he wanted to get home others have speculated maybe that he resented that barnabas and paul had now if you will become Paul and Barnabas Paul taking a leading role in the missionary journeys and why would that be something to John Mark well Barnabas was his cousin some have wondered if he didn't like the fact that Paul was now assuming the place of leadership among this team others have wondered if he being a loyal member of that Jerusalem church And you can imagine that Jerusalem church would have been made up of mostly, predominantly Jewish people. And now Paul is bold in his policy to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the church up in Antioch of Jews and Gentiles together, that was pretty cool. And we went to the island of Cyprus. That's pretty neat because that was Barnabas, his cousin's home. Maybe he was okay with that. But now we're going north and we're going to Lystra. Where when Paul and Barnabas perform a miracle, they worship Barnabas as Zeus and Paul as Hermes and offer sacrifices. This is Gentile territory. And some have wondered, maybe John Mark was not up for that. Others, maybe Whenever you, you leave Cyprus and you sail north and you hit those shores and you start heading north, City, Antioch, Lystra, Derby, and the like, you're going up the Tarsus Mountains. And that it would have been a stiff climb and that there would have been robbers throughout. The Apostle Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26, that he, over the course of his ministry, in danger from robbers. And Some have wondered if John Mark wasn't up for this what other we know that Paul when they went on this first missionary journey and up into those mountains and up that he was sick and that he had a fairly severe eye problem and some have wondered if Mark thought it was foolish to keep pressing on whatever the reason Luke uses a word describing how Paul felt in verse 38 Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia I'm gonna sum it up like this and maybe explain a little further let's not if let's check on each other but then maybe here's a lesson for us that sometimes hard for me I know and maybe for some of you let's not fear healthy conflict Conflict in ministry is inevitable. Whenever you have good men and good women who are seeking noble pursuits, how to get there sometimes brings conflict. And if we're afraid of that, if we shy away from that, maybe the accomplishing of the goals that we have and the desires that we have will never come to fruition. And maybe sometimes healthy conflict is the way to pursue it Paul if we know anything about him as we read the New Testament he certainly had an apostolic gifting he wanted to take the gospel where it had not been named Uh, some have said that we'll recognize Paul when we get to heaven because he'll be the one with a flat nose from just running into closed doors but always on the go always headed because he wants to accomplish the will of God in his life He's a seemingly a get-or-done kind of guy. We have to be careful, though, as we paint in broad strokes. This man, if you know anything about him from his letters, was full of love and had friends everywhere. But that's who he was. Barnabas, if you remember from chapter 4, we met him initially. His name was Joseph. But he was such an encouraging fellow that the apostles gave him a nickname, Barnabas which means son of encouragement. This is a people guy. If Paul has apostolic gifting, Barnabas probably has a shepherding kind of gifting. If if Paul is concerned with the work and its future, Barnabas maybe is concerned with the worker and his future. Ephesians 4 tells us that Jesus gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, shepherds, and some as teachers. He's given all kinds, and all of them necessary, that was chapter 4, verse 11, all of them necessary for chapter 4, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so when it came time to to head out, Barnabas says, hey, Paul, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, heck no, we're not taking John Mark with us. Was doctrinal error at stake? No. Was... Moral sin at issue no Was if you will ministerial Focus or strategy Maybe so Barnabas wants to give John mark a second chance Paul doesn't want to take the risk Barnabas maybe Hey, Paul, he's been around longer than you and I have. He knew Jesus before you and I ever knew him. He was there when they arrested Jesus. Paul said, maybe so. But he wasn't there when the going got tough as we headed up the mountains to take the gospel. Look, Paul, he's family. I know he's he's your cousin, Barnabas. And he's wounded, Paul. He wants to make it right. Maybe so. Barnabas, and I, I feel sorry for him, but he didn't pay the price. He didn't ante up. Leadership is something that you earn, Barnabas. You know that. I know, Paul. I know, I know, I know. Barnabas maybe said, Paul, I'll be watching over him. Maybe Paul responded, well, you can't watch over him all the time. Barnabas has a great heart for John Mark. his family, but it's also Barnabas. You, you remember in the story whenever Paul was the great persecutor of the church, went to Damascus, got converted to Jesus Christ, eventually came back to Jerusalem, and all the Christians were scared to death of, of Paul. Because he'd been the great persecutor of the church, and they didn't want anything to do with Paul. And who was it? It put his arm around Paul and said, Hey, everybody, he's one of us. That was Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. And Barnabas wants to give old John Mark this second chance. And maybe Paul had Proverbs 25:19 in mind. How's this for a Proverb? Like a bad tooth. Ugh, a bad tooth, or an unsteady foot, is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. There occurred such a sharp disagreement. They separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. That word sharp disagreement is used a couple of other times, a few other times in the New Testament, and it means, sometimes used of God's wrath. And Dr. Daryl Bock, New Testament, or scholar of Luke and Acts, said this was a major disagreement. But, he says, it led to a solid compromise, and he thinks that there's no blame to be assigned to either one, but that he appreciates Luke's realism into this circumstance. As I read through this, I thought about some reading that I had done, and maybe some of y'all will appreciate this, and maybe you won't, but Patrick Lencioni, um writes to help form strong teams, and he generally writes for business teams and the like but oftentimes as well for nonprofits like churches and things. He believes, he wrote a very famous book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, that one of the five dysfunctions of a team of people is, number two actually, is fear of conflict. Fear of conflict. Let me just read a little bit of what he says here, because when I read it, I go, that sounds to me what was going on with Paul and Barnabas. All great relationships, the ones that last over time, require productive conflict in order to grow. This is true in marriage, parenthood, friendship, and certainly business. Unfortunately, conflict is considered taboo in many situations, especially at work. And the higher you go up the management chain, the more you find people spending inordinate amounts of time and energy trying to avoid the kind of passionate debates that are essential to any great team. It is important to distinguish productive ideological conflict from destructive fighting and interpersonal politics. Ideological conflict is limited to concepts and ideas and avoids personality-focused, mean-spirited attacks. However, it can have many of the same external qualities of interpersonal conflict. Passion, emotion, frustration, So much so that an outside observer might easily mistake it for an unproductive discord. I wonder if sometimes you and I look at this and think, good night, this is terrible. And had you asked Paul and Barnabas about it, they would have said, what do you mean it was terrible? We're the best of buddies. There was nothing personal about it. Paul wasn't attacking my person and I wasn't attacking Paul's person. We had a difference of agreement on how we were going 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 to go about the next step to us all the passion the emotion the frustration we could easily mistake it for unproductive discord but teams that engage in productive conflict know that the only purpose is to produce the best possible solution in the shortest period of time. They discuss and resolve issues more quickly and completely than others, and they emerge from heated debates with no residual feelings or collateral damage, but with an eagerness and readiness to take on the next important issue. I think maybe that's what was going on here. I like... I like that Daryl Box says that it was a major disagreement. They came to a solid compromise. There's no apportion of blame, because that's the way I'd like to read it. That Paul wasn't wrong. Barnabas wasn't wrong. They had different ideas on how to accomplish what they both knew to be very, very important. They had some good, healthy conflict over it. I'll read you one more from a different book that he wrote. Let's see if I can find it quickly. There it is. Nowhere does this tendency toward artificial harmony show itself more than in mission driven nonprofit organizations, most notably churches. Uh oh. People who work in those organizations tend to have a misguided idea that they cannot be frustrated or disagreeable with one another. What they're doing is confusing being nice with being kind. Two people who trust and care about one another and are engaged in something important, that sure sounds like a mission driven nonprofit to me, should feel compelled to disagree with one another, sometimes passionately, when they see things differently. After all, the consequences of making bad decisions are great. When leadership team members fail to disagree around issues, Not only are they increasing the likelihood of losing respect for one another and and encountering destructive conflict later when people start griping in the hallways, they're also making bad decisions and letting down the people they're supposed to be serving. And they do this all in the name of being nice. Well, healthy teams disagree, they challenge, they question one another, all in the spirit of finding the best answer, discovering the truth, and making the best decisions. You've been in meetings like this, haven't you? For me, what a joy, what a joy, what a joy and a pleasure it is to to be a part of the elder team with Forrest Bierkus and Aaron Doe and Chris Long and Chris Hollister and Brian Carey. Those men are passionate about us. They're passionate about the mission, and they want to do right. And, uh, you know, they talk about it gets uncomfortable sometimes. When, when, when somebody will make a point, and somebody will go, I disagree. And you go, oh, man, oh. And then you go, wait a minute, this is great. And they'll talk about it, and somebody else will jump in and say, yeah, I, I disagree with that, I agree with so," And boom, 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 boom. And, and from the outside, you could go, oh, yikes, that's uncomfortable, that's stressful. But the best decisions come out of that kind of thing, huh? Because it has nothing to do with being mad at each other or anything like that. It's how do we press forward into what God is calling us to be and do. So let's fight some more around here. Y'all want to? No, 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 no. Let's be nice. But I don't know. Maybe we need to let's just. Good night. I don't want to invite any more conflict into my life. I promise you. I don't want any more than I have to have. But again, I just like to see this as Paul was right and Barnabas was right too. Neither one of them was wrong. Just two different guys with two different giftings going, what's the best way to go about this? I think this way. Well, I disagree. Well, yeah, I disagree with you. Well, what about this? And, let's, and then guess what? Boom. How about we do this? How about, Barnabas, why don't you take John Mark and y'all go back to the island of Cyprus? We were, that was where the mission started. And hey, Silas has just joined us. How about I'll take Silas with me and we'll go back and revisit these churches? That's a great idea. And 10 minutes ago, they weren't even thinking about that idea. 10 minutes ago, the idea was, we're going to disagree over whether or not John Mark is going to join us as we both go here. And then all of a sudden, boom, through the hearty, healthy conflict, two missions are started. Five years later, Paul will write 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians 9, it's it's a brief little statement, but he will speak glowingly, if you will, of Barnabas. I don't think there was anything, zero personal in here. And some years after that, Paul will write in Colossians chapter 4, and he will say of a young fellow, Colossians 4, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, because Paul's in prison in Rome, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. There's John Mark with Paul visiting him when paul's in prison in rome john mark's there and a little bit later at the end of paul's life when he's in prison and about to die and he wants to see timothy and so he's urging timothy make every effort to come to me soon only luke is with me pick up mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for service and part of you wants to say well no no thanks to you paul because of the ministry of Barnabas taking this man and working with him and helping him and so this man John Mark becomes a wonderful man of God a wonderful servant of the Lord and he's the one who writes the gospel of Mark and Paul would take Silas and go on that second missionary journey and revisit those churches and pick up Timothy and then they would hear from the Lord come over here and help us in Macedonia and they go to Philippi and plant a church and Thessalonica and plant a church and Berea and plant a church in Athens and Corinth and back to Ephesus and boom 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 God is working out his purposes real quick We'll keep going. Verse 41, he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So that's, that's Paul and Silas. And now in chapter 16, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. So those were the churches, a couple of the churches planted on the first journey. And a disciple was there.